Greetings, everybody. Welcome to Vineyard Altoona. My name is Derek. If you are someone who is connecting with Vineyard Altoona for the first time, I especially want to welcome you. I'm so glad you've chosen to join us. And it's a super special day for us. This is the first day that we are meeting in this new format in homes. And so we're super excited about it. And I'm so glad that you've chosen to join us. I hope that your time uh, with us is, is good for you and is, is a positive experience. I'm going to go ahead and begin. And I want to just ask you a question. Let me just ask you this question. If you wanted to change the world, what would you do? If you wanted to change the world, how would you go about it? I want you to actually think about it right where you are. Think about it. If you wanted to change the world, what would you do? How would you go about it? Would you create a new form of government? Would you adopt all of the orphans? Would you bond everyone out of human trafficking? Would you end all wars? Would you create unlimited funds and end poverty? What would you do? And I'm sure you have something in mind that you would probably do. But certainly the thing that you have in mind would be you know, that would take you a lot of planning and it would, call, it would cause you to put a lot of hours and a lot of hard work. And of course, there's no guarantee that it would even work, right? That, that it may not work for you. But what if I told you that there's a way to change the world that was guaranteed to work? That there's a way that the world would be radically altered that's guaranteed to work. In fact, uh, it would work so well that perfect justice would be done. That there would be no more orphans and there would be no more sadness. That everything would be all right. Everything would work out. Everything would, would work out for you with as far as changing the world. What would you say if that was true? That everyone would be cared for. That everyone's needs would be met. Last week, we looked at John 15, verses uh, 1 to 17, and we're going to look again at a part of that text today, But and if you didn't catch it, it's on uh, the podcast, or you can catch it on YouTube. Uh, it's all still there if you want to listen to it again. But in order to get us in the right frame of mind, I want to do a brief recap from what we talked about last week. Last week, I told you, like right at the beginning of uh, John chapter 15, uh, Jesus says, I am the true vine. And what I told you last week is, this is Jesus referencing Israel. That in, in the history of the Old Testament, God repeatedly refers to Israel as his vine or his vineyard. That Israel, in their function, they're supposed to demonstrate the character of God, the nature of God, and then they're supposed to share the salvation of, the, of God to the world. That this is the purpose of the nation of Israel. But if you read the Old Testament, you really don't have to read very far. They fail miserably over and over and over. They fail to do the thing that they're created to do. So when Jesus shows up, he says, I am the true vine. He says, whatever it was that Israel was supposed to do, in demonstrating the reality of who God is and sharing God's salvation with the world, they are no longer in that identity. That Jesus now embodies the identity of Israel. That Jesus is the true vine. And so what Jesus is saying is, I now am going to share salvation with the world. And he says, you, 
my disciples are the branches in this vine that you will bear fruit. And like I said last week, the whole point of this passage is about mission. It's about the mission of God. That bearing fruit means that more people will be in the family of God, will experience the salvation of God, the goodness of God. That's the point of the passage. So as we read the whole rest of the passage, Jesus says, you will bear fruit as you remain in me, over and over and over. And there's dire warnings. We talked about this last week. There's dire warnings for followers of Jesus who don't bear fruit, that they'll be cut off by the Father. And certainly we don't, don't want to be those kinds of people. But like I said last week, the way we remain in Christ and bear fruit is that we obey what Jesus says, and then we ask the Father for the things that we need in order to be obedient to what Jesus says that he'll give us all the things that we need. This is what it is to remain in Christ and bear fruit. So you may then be wondering, well, okay, what does it look like to bear fruit? Like, how does that even work? Like, what is bearing fruit anyway? And Jesus doesn't wait very long to tell us. In fact, right off the bat, Jesus tells his disciples, he says, the way remaining in Christ results in fruit and, and extends the kingdom of God is by how you love one another. This is how this works. How you love one another. Look with me at verses 9 to 17. If you have your Bibles, you can take them in hand. Uh, it's uh, John chapter 15, verses 9 to 17. And here's what it says. It says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands, and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. So this is what Jesus says. Jesus says, the way we bear fruit in the world, the way the world comes to salvation in Jesus is by how we love each other. And this is certainly poignant in, in this time now that we're in homes, right? The way that we love each other demonstrates something to the world of who God is. You know, it's, it's interesting that, that, that we, you know, Jesus says at one point, says, Love your neighbor as yourself. But something different is happening here. It's something deeper that Jesus is talking about. In verse 12, Jesus says, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. He's not talking about the whole world. He's talking to his disciples. And he's saying, you know the way that you've experienced me love you? You know the way I'm about to love you? That's how I want you to love each other. And so often we have this temptation to go, 
you know, well, we, we understand what Jesus means by love each other the way he loves us. Of course, we all run past that. And of course, then we end up disappointed, right? When not everybody agrees with us and we don't see things the same way. So as responsible people, the question we should ask now is, how does Christ love? How does Christ love? We don't want to just assume that we know what that means. If it's so integral to loving our uh, others the way that Christ loves us, then it is pretty important that we figure out how he means to do that. So really at its root, what we're asking is, what is love? That we who follow Jesus, we take our cues from Jesus, we take our definitions from Jesus, we understand things through the lens of Jesus, And so our question, when we ask, how does Christ love? The question really is, what is love? Now, we live in a very interesting culture, don't we? I I tend to refer to things that I like a lot. And I say that I love them. Uh, I am very fond of chocolate cake. And I might say that I love chocolate cake. Or, you know, your favorite television show, right? I love The Office. And we talk about things in in using the word love. You know, you might say, I love my dog. Or, man, I love my neighbor. Or I love my car. Like we love inanimate objects and we love people. Or sometimes we might say, you know, I love my friends. Or, Or maybe we love our boyfriend or we love our girlfriend. Or we love our spouse. In fact, even we, we use the word love to, to define an activity that, that, part, that happens between a husband and a wife. Or we might say that we love Jesus. And certainly not all of those things are the same. And yet we use this word love. It becomes more imperative for us to understand what does Jesus mean when he says, love each other the way that I have loved you. What is love? And in verse 13, Jesus gives us a clue. He says, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. He may be referencing and very likely is referencing the fact that he's about to go to the cross. But he's describing something deeper here. He's describing the way that God loves. Agape love. That's what the, the, the word behind love in this passage is agape. It's this entirely self-sacrificing, self-giving love for the benefit of someone else. In fact, John, who wrote this gospel, writes a letter later on. It's 1 John. And in chapter 3, here's what he says. He says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. This is the disciple who referred to himself as the disciple Jesus loved. And he says, the way we know what love is, is Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. He continues, he says, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. Jesus demonstrates this, that to to love is to give entirely of oneself for the benefit of someone else. The way we're to love one another is entirely to the benefit of the others. And certainly what Jesus has in view here, as he calls his disciples friends, 
is the birth of the church. That that's what this community is supposed to be. Can you imagine a community where everyone who was part of it loved one another for that person's benefit, gave of themselves entirely for the other person's benefit, didn't come to interactions about what I could get out of it, but entirely for your benefit, that we know each other so deeply and we make sure that everyone else is cared for. Can you imagine that community? Can you imagine a community where we all lift one another up that any need that one has is taken care of? Can you imagine a community where we know each other's weaknesses and each other's faults and we help each other persevere in following Christ? Can you imagine what that kind of community is like? And this is what Jesus says the church is supposed to be like. That we're supposed to be a community of giving of ourselves to one another. A love that's entirely self-giving and selfless. Can you imagine what it would look like to the world around us if we were able to do that? I don't think, like, we talk about the, the fear of evangelism and sharing our faith. Can you imagine, what, what kind of community would you not want to be a part of where you knew that everyone loved each other, not for what they could get out of it, but for what they could give? Can you imagine what a community like that would be like? And Jesus says, this is the kind of community that bears fruit. That to change the world looks like loving one another. Here's the problem, though. The problem is, none of us can actually do it. I can't do it. You can't do it. Nobody you're sitting in a room with, if you're sitting in uh, one of the houses, can do it. Nobody can actually do this. That's a, that's a real problem. You know, the atheist hears this and says, well, why can't we just create communities and, and uh, gatherings of people who just respect one another and we're, we're not going to judge each other and we're just going to love each other and all will be well. Why do we have to make this religious? Why do we have to bring Jesus into the middle of everything? Why can't we just know that other people matter and we'll just pray, you know, we'll just, we'll not pray, but like, we'll just live life with one another and love each other. Friend, that kind of community can never change the world. Let me tell you why. Because if we are trying to, to just build community on our own that loves each other, we will only ever love those people that agree with us. We'll only ever love those people who have affinity with us. We'll only ever love those people that are lovable to us. What do you do in that situation with people who disagree with you or people who oppose what you think? In that situation, you're forced to create opponents. You're, you're forced to create two camps. So the atheist cannot create this kind of community that would change the world. But if the atheist can't do it, neither can the religious person. The religious person, again, also only loves people who value the same things they value. They only love the person who is pursuing their, their own sort of faith or their own sort of religion in the same way. And maybe they would love someone who opposed them or was against them, but they would only love them to the degree that it made them feel like they had achieved and earned their salvation. Again, it's only an affinity thing. The best we can hope for is affinity. But the gospel says 
The gospel says that none of us can do it. The gospel says that we're all entirely tainted, that there's none of us that by ourselves has enough in us to be entirely self-giving. The gospel says that Jesus had to make a way for us to be connected to our Father in order to become these kinds of people. In fact, the word agape, which is used in this passage, the word agape is a kind of love that does not originate with human beings. The word for, for what we could produce is phileo. It's brotherly love. It's affinity love. The best we can come up with on our own is affinity love. That's the best thing we can hope for, which will always result in people I like and people I don't like. But the gospel says you are made right, you are made clean by Jesus, and you are connected to your Father. You are connected to the source of a love that no human can produce. That we are able to do this only to the degree that we connect in faith to Jesus. I heard a guy say, that there's only enough grace for every day. And I think that squares very much with what Jesus is saying here, that to the degree you remain in Christ, you have coming to you the love of the Father that you can give away. We can't create these kind of communities on our own. It takes Jesus to create them for us and in us and through us. And they'll change the world. They'll change the world. This is why Jesus says, remain in me. Because it's the only way that we're going to change the world. It also means that our connection to God has very much uh, relevance and some implications for the church. You, you see, when, when we uh, show up for church community, you're supposed to bring with you your experience of that agape love. And it has at least three, three changes. It changes things in at least three ways. Let me tick these off real quick. Number one, gathering with the church is less about what you get and more about what you give. Jesus envisions a church where all people are self-giving, that they give agape love to others in the community. It's about what you give. The fact of the matter is you will walk away blessed. You will leave blessed, but it's not about you getting fed. Nothing about church is, in, is designed about you getting fed. It's about you bringing who you are in Christ to the community. That's what this whole thing is about. It's not about what you get. It's about what you give. And in the process of giving, you do get blessed. Number two, what you do in between the times of gathering is critical. Listen, it's at least as important the other six days as the day that you gather with people who follow Jesus. Because Jesus expects a vibrant love from the Father, through the Son, into the church, because that's the expectation, what you do every day matters. It matters if you take that time in the morning or in the afternoon or whenever it works for you, and you connect with Jesus. That matters because you can't produce the agape love that you need to bring to the community. The best you can hope for is phileo if you stay disconnected. Brotherly love, affinity love. That's the best we can hope for. So it matters that you spend time with Jesus. You know what else matters? Through the week, it matters how you, what perspective you take on sin. Like, do you engage in practices that are contrary to what Jesus would call you to 
in hopes that you can show up on Sunday and it makes no difference. It does make a difference because the expectation is that you will bring all of your unbroken fellowship with Jesus to bear in the community. It matters what you do in between times. And the third thing, your presence in the gathered body matters. You know, we live in a culture that says it really doesn't matter if you show up to church or not. Regular attender is like once or twice a month. That's what a regular attender in statistics is anymore. And so we live in this culture that says, well, really, you only go when you need to go or when you feel like, man, I just really need to connect with church. But the fact of the matter is, in the church Jesus envisions, everybody brings their own unique experience of agape love to bear. You see, no one connects to the agape love of Jesus like you do. And nobody connects to the agape love of Jesus like I do. And yet your way and my way and everyone else's way is different. And we all bring that to bear. And we all have a role to play. We're all part of this body. It's critical that you're there. When you choose to not connect with the body, it's not you that misses something. It's us. You withhold yourself. The agape love that you experience, you're withholding that from the community. We miss out. When, you do, you know, when, when, when people just decide not to come and not connect with the body, we miss out. And especially now that we're in homes like this, the other people in your home will miss out when you're not there. You bring a special connection with the Lord in to, bear, to bear in that community. Everybody loses when you choose to opt out. Your peace is critical. And here's the deal. All of this, Jesus says, will change the world. That Jesus is the true Israel who has come into the world to demonstrate what God is like and to offer the salvation of Jesus to the world. And he will do it through us as we love one another. It's the best evangelism pro program you could ever come up with. It's not about cornering people into decisions. It's about demonstrating a love that is not earthly. And that's what Jesus demonstrates for us. That's what we remember every week as we take communion together. And so we're going to move now into a time of communion to remember this. To remember that by Christ's very body and blood, he has done for us what we could not have done for ourselves. And so if you have your elements, you can take them in hand. Uh, if you don't, in, in the homes, you can take your time to, to get to them. Uh, we'll have a little bit of time for that.